to bring this meeting back to order? All right, welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's meeting. This is a public meeting that's being aired live on our local cable television station, QAC-TV7. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public meetings. In addition to our live audience this evening, we are providing remote options for citizens to watch and participate in county commissioner meetings. Citizens may watch our meeting live on our website at qac.org live or on our television channel, BreezeLine Channel 7 and High Definition Channel 507. Citizens can participate also by joining the live Zoom meeting by going to qac.org slash public comment. Citizens may also email comments to public comment at qac.org. All comments received will be summarized during the present public comment period on tonight's agenda. We acknowledge everyone's participation and by attending you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. Press and public comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you do care to speak, please sign up at the information table in the lobby. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Jim Moran. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If you could remain standing for a moment of silence, last week being Thanksgiving, uh, we lost two county residents, uh, Bryce Boone, his mother's Debbie Hopkins, and Mike Katinas, uh, pillar of the community at Annie's. Thank you very much. Okay, commissioners, that brings us to our agenda for this evening. Our agenda for today's meeting, November 28th, along with the regular session minutes, the roads board minutes, and the sanitary commission minutes from the November 14th meeting have been circulated for uh, review. Do we have any additions or corrections? We have a motion to second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, commissioners. So we just held a closed session under the general provisions, article section 3305B1 to discuss boards and commissions. And I believe we have a number of appointments to make this evening. And we're going to start off with our MAKO representation. I move to nominate Commissioner Jack Wilson as a member and Commissioner Chris Corcorino as an alternate for the Maryland Association of Counties Legislative Committee for 2024. Second. We have a motion to second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay, next we have the uh, president of the county commissioners and Thank vice you. president for the county commissioners. Second. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion there? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. We also have a number of Commissioner liaison assignments uh, that we have established. There were a couple of changes. Do we want to go over those? Or do you want to? Or you want to? It probably wouldn't hurt just to review those quickly. Okay. So you want to go through? 
Alrighty. Boards and Commissions, the Baltimore Metropolitan Council. I am the uh, representative and Phil is the alternate. Uh, Baltimore Regional Transportation Board is again, I am the um, representative and Phil is the alternate. Board of Health is the whole set of commissioners. Council of Governments, it's Commissioner Wilson. Alternate is Patrick. Uh, Mako, we just heard who those were. Parks and Rec, I am the representative. And Commissioner Goffin is um, the alternate. That was a change. Roads Board, we're all, we all serve on Roads Board. We all serve on the Sanitary Commission. Social Services Board, Commissioner Wilson and uh, Patrick is the alternate. Upper Shore Regional Council, Jack is the, is the voting member, Chris is the voting member, and Patrick is the alternate. Board of Commissions, which we can serve on the Alcohol and Drug Council, we don't have anybody on this. That's one that we missed. And we don't have to have anybody on that okay, particular so commission. We'll that yeah, one. We, we don't have anybody serving on that commission currently either. But what we did add is we added the um, Oh my God! Drug free coalition. coalition. Drug free coalition. The clean. No. Drug I'm sorry. Drug free coalition. Drug free coalition. Thank you. The drug free coalition, which I, I am the member, and Jack is the alternate. Animal control board. Uh, Phil is the member, and Chris is the alternate. Baybridge Airport. Chris is the member, and I am the alternate. Baybridge Reconstruction Advisory Board. I am the uh, representative to that, and right now. Uh, Former Commissioner uh, Stevie Wilson is a member. Board of Education stays with the President and the Vice President, so it's myself and Phil are the members of that. Broadband Advisory Council is uh, Commissioner Wilson and Patrick is the alternate. Commission on Aging, I am the, the uh, member and Chris is the alternate. Council for Children and Youth, Phil and Chris both serve there. Economic Development Commission was Jack, and Chris is the alternate. Employee Morale Committee is myself and Phil. Uh, DSAC has, Chris is the member and I'm the alternate. Fire and EMS Commission has Jack as the member and Patrick as the alternate. Uh, How's, what's the acronym for DSAC? Why don't you fill me in? Department of Emergency Services Advisory Council. You're just saying that because they're sitting here? No, so, just because oh, some acronyms. people in our, right. in our right. audience I'm, don't know the acronym. Thank you. Thank you. But they uh, are here tonight. Housing Authority. Patrick, you are the uh, member, and Chris is the alternate. Kent Narrows the Defe Development Foundation is Phil is the member, and I am the alternate. The Liquor Board. Chris is the member, and Patrick is the alternate. NACO. Jack is the member. Patrick and Chris are alternates. Planning Commission, I am the member. Chris is the alternate. Nope. Oh, Phil is. Phil's oh, excuse alternate. me, that's right, we changed that one. Phil is the alternate. That's right, you want the, 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 your name tag up there. A little you. tiny okay. desk. Rural County Coalition, Jack is the member. Chris is the alternate. Spending Affordability Committee, Chris is the member, and I am the alternate. And I think that takes care of all of them. Hubba hubba. Marky, did he get it right? Okay. Now we're going on to boards, Board of Appeals, excuse me. Board of Appeals. So I move to reappoint Howard Dean as a member of the board and Barry Waterman as the first alternate for the board. Uh, this moving Scott McGlashan to the second alternate of the board. 
And their terms will, uh, Howard Dean's term will expire December 31st, 2027. And both Scotty McGlashan and Barry Waterman's terms, December 31st, 2025. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Let's see, now we go to the Commission on Aging. Uh, we, the Queen Anne's County Commissioners, do hereby move to approve two replacements for the Commission on Aging. Martha Anthony and Rebecca Kennedy finishing out the previous term holders as listed above. And they're going to be, uh, which their terms will end in, Martha Anthony's will end in December 31st, 2024, and Rebecca Kennedy will end in December 31st, 2026. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion on this item? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Jack, you want to read the next one? Okay. <laughs> Economic Development Commission. Yes. Hold on, i got to find it. Oh, okay, that's all right. Yeah, I move to approve the reappointment of James P. Riley and Larissa Costello to the Economic Development Commission for a term of three years beginning January 1, 2024 and ending December 31st, 2026. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Employee Awards Committee. Let's see here. So we are going to reappoint Katie Price, Shane Moore, and Alan Toblib to three, three uh, terms. Uh, their terms will end, well, that's already ended, 2023. So where's the new one, Todd? Thank you. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm sorry. Yes, let me start over on that one then. I move to reappoint Katie Price, Shane Moore, Alan Toblib to the Employee Awards Committee. These terms will expire December 31st, 2025. Second. 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 We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? A motion in three seconds. In three seconds. Uh, seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Uh, and opposed? So moved. And here we go. Now. Let me take this one over for no, you. I'm going to get this one. I want to get this one. I move to appoint Mr. Wilson to fill out the vacancy on the Housing Authority. This term will expire June 30th, 2027. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion on this one? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Mr. Stevie Wilson. Mr. Not Stevie. Jack Wilson. Commissioner. I didn't say commissioner. I said Mr. Wilson. He's the only one that gets a mister. So here we go. I move to... Reappoint Mark Kasha to fill, excuse me, reappoint Mark Kasha for a, another term to expire December 31st, 2027. On the Parks and Recreation Board. On the Parks and Recreation Board. Thank you. Second. second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? <laughs> Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? And will this ever end? Okay. <laughs> Now we're moving on to the Planning Commission. I move to reappoint Sharon Dobson to the Planning Commission. This term will expire December 31st, 2028. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. I move to reappoint Mike Snipes and Mike Bozak to the Plumbing HVAC Board. These terms will expire on December 31st, 2026. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? And that's the end of that pain and suffering. Do you okay. need a break? Do you need a no. recess? Give him a water. No, you want to okay. quick get him a water. No, I'm good.
was hoping Bruce was going to jump in there and save me. But so all those folks that applied for uh, these boards and commissions, um, we appreciate your efforts and your interest in serving in your community. So kudos and hats off to all those folks that signed up, sent their letters of request to be considered, um, and thank you. Very good. All right. Thank you, commissioners. That brings us then we can move into our presentations for this evening oh, and press and public comment. Oh, excuse me. Got ahead of myself. Next, just, we have just uh, is this a hangover from tryptophan from Thanksgiving still? Yeah, could be. Lord. We have uh, press and public comment next. So let me get my little. So we appreciate all citizen citizens for taking time to express views to the county commissioners. Comments are limited to three minutes per person. Comments longer than three minutes may be submitted in writing. This commission respects your desire to, and right to convey your message freely. When you come forward, please speak clearly at the standing microphone. State your name, your address, and your topic of interest. And in keeping with the dignity of the office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. Sam Stanton. Margie, you want to go check with me? Oh. Good evening, Commissioner Sam Stanton. Uh, Granny Branch Road, Churchill. Uh, now, I venture to guess most of you, or some of you might not be familiar with Granny Branch Road, so let me orient you. Uh, it's a beautiful part of the county. Farms, forests, wide open spaces. A few small rural subdivisions. It's the kind of place that my family uh, and my neighbors are proud to call home. So why am I here? Granny Branch Road is just a stone's throw away from the east, former, now abandoned, eastern pre-release unit, which the county is now seeking to not only resurrect as a correctional institution, but a regional correctional institution, importing inmates from a three-county region. Now I realize this project is in its infancy. Uh, however, it seems all three counties and the state of Maryland are in love with this idea. I felt it's a good time to give the citizens' point of view. Now, I'd like to compare the existing jail over on Little Hut Drive uh, here in Centerville with the former ERPU uh, to try and understand why this is such a great idea. Uh, the existing jail was constructed in 1988. It's only 35 years old. Uh, the ERPU building was constructed in 19, the early 1960s, as near as I could tell, over 60 years ago. Uh, now, I understand the current jail is badly in need of a renovation, and I understand the county, according to the uh, attached memo from the October 24th meeting agenda, renovation design was already funded and complete and was ready to go out to bid. Um, this was in addition to land the county already purchased adjacent to the current site uh, to accommodate those renovations. Now I have no idea what kind of state the, uh, the ERPU building is in, but I can't imagine a 60-year-old building uh, that's been abandoned for several years is in move-in ready condition and I'm assuming it's probably going to necessitate a whole new building. Uh, let's see. Um, the existing jail has access to public sewer and water, while the former ERPU site once had an on-site wastewater treatment plant. It's my understanding that was abandoned when the site, when the state walked away from the property in 2021. Uh, in fact, uh, living right around the corner, I can attest the lagoon was filled in, um, uh, evidenced by the enormous pile of fill that sat next to the building for months. So essentially, we're starting from scratch there too. Uh, there's a host of other factors I hope you'd consider, like transportation, traffic on local roads, light pollution, compliance with the ag zoning. Uh, lastly, when the site was built in the 60s, I understand there was a dozen farms there within like a mile of the site. Maybe it made sense back then. Today, the area is drastically different. 100 or five subdivisions, 
uh, over 150 residences within a mile of the site. And ultimately, that's my biggest concern on, on myself and the other homeowners in the area on our property values. Now, I don't profess to be a real estate professional, but I can't imagine, or I find it hard to believe, that having a correctional institution in your backyard is going to have a positive effect on your home or your property's value. So these residents and myself, we've chosen to make an investment. I'm on my last line. Right, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Uh, these residents have chosen to make an investment in Queen Anne's County, arguably the most important investment in most people's lives. Please don't make them regret that decision, and I urge you to consider that while you're moving forward. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I had who signed up. Would anybody else like to speak at this time? Okay, we'll close press and public comment. Oh, you got, got one. one. Oh, okay. Please, your name and your address. Susan Payne, 201 Quail Run Drive, Centerville, Maryland. And I have a great concern. I live on the Corsica River. And from what I read in the paper this past week about it going, the wastewater treatment, you were looking to put from 42,000 gallons into the Corsica to a million gallons. It is very disturbing to think that when he was mentioning about property values, what it might do to that. But more than that, People use that river. People come to the wharf, to the ramp area, and they use it to fish, to crab, and to recreate with their boats. Putting that type of thing into the water, I just can't imagine it helping it or keeping it clean. What do you know about putting a million gallons of treatment water into a, a river? That's why we have the shore rivers, to try to get it work for the bay, save the bay. Here we go. Why, why can't it go in a line out to the wastewater treatment plant on 305? I mean, it's there. They're spraying it onto the ground. Why not continue to give an extension if it's at full capacity? It just seems like it could have a much better effect if it were redirected to an area that would not affect so many people on the water and so many not just the value of the property, but so many people that come there to enjoy it. That's all I have to say, but I certainly hope you will reconsider because whoever made this suggestion obviously doesn't live on the water or perhaps doesn't enjoy the things that people have come to spend their money on in this area and to enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Any, would anybody else like to speak? Now we'll close press and public comment. So now we can move into presentations. So if you want to turn to tab number six and your books, and we have it up on the screen here, we have the uh, director of the Department of Emergency Services for their update, uh, Director Scott Haas and his uh, team. So come on up, <laughs> gentlemen. I can screw up the PowerPoint here. So good evening, Commissioners. Evening. It's a pleasure to be here to give you an update on our department, and this is our last update for the year. And uh, hopefully we can spread some good news and some good things that have happened with us over the last year. I tried to give these guys off tonight, and I kind of did the, the PowerPoint presentation myself and didn't make them labor over it like I normally do. But I don't think they trusted me 100% to present their, their divisions <laughs> through me. 
So <laughs> Phil and Zach are here to kind of back me up tonight. We're just but, here to answer questions. But, but I promised that I would take the lead on this and actually do it myself and, because they usually do it for me uh, at these. So the first up is emergency medical services, which Zach is in charge of. You get a weekly report from us basically showing our, our service. So you're probably more familiar with our stats than, than Zach is, even though he creates them. Uh, but the big key thing that you see up on, on the screen from uh, January to October, uh, we've experienced 500 calls over last year during the same time period. And I'm sure you've seen that increase in all the reports that we send you on a weekly basis. Um, and he is doing an excellent job keeping up with the call volume and what's hitting the street and keeping our units in service. But we do have some periods that were very short on units throughout the county just because of the call volume that we have. So staffing is a huge issue with Department of Emergency Services. And we created this PowerPoint last week and it has already changed, unfortunately. <laughs> So at the bottom there, you see that we're currently fully staffed in the EMS division. That changed this week. So we are down two providers uh, since we did this PowerPoint presentation. Uh, one of them, which is good news, is we promoted into a training coordinator position and he accepted the position today, which That's vacated a, a paramedic position in the field, but gives us an excellent trainer. Absolutely. Uh, that we're going to have in the department that we can utilize globally and it's going to save us a lot of money long term and hopefully educate our providers to the next level. So we're excited about that. Uh, we are working closely with human resources to fill the two vacant positions and I don't foresee a long period of time for that to go. Uh, overall staff for the division is 65. Uh, There's 16 members assigned to each shift and we have four shifts that we operate. Uh, this is also a change, but we still had three people in, in the training cycle when we created the PowerPoint about a week ago. Since then, two of them have been cleared and one, one is on the verge of getting cleared. So we will have nobody in the training mode, which means everybody is on a working unit and there's nobody in the training period for the division, which it's been over two years since we've actually experienced that. So, so that's, that's a very good sign for us. The other thing that I want to point out with our, with our staffing levels is Zach has been able to up our sixth unit and it's basically on 24-7 now. So we have an additional unit on the street, which is a good thing. So Zach made this tom tomato chart for another presentation that we did. And he actually did it for one reason, but I think the core reason he created this chart was to prove that the majority of our staff wasn't born when I started with the Department of Emergency Services. <laughs> so, uh, but the main thing that, that we're looking at with, with this chart is uh, our average uh, experience that are in the field right now is currently five years. And we like to see that number a little bit higher because a paramedic basically becomes in their prime at the five year mark. So we, we like to see that number a little more around the seven to eight year mark uh, makes us uh, more in a comfortable zone. It basically means that we've got a very young and new department and we're growing. Uh, the other interesting statistic with this chart that Zach did is an older segment is becoming part of the EMS world. And, and so, which means that there's an older population retraining themselves to become, to find a new career which is kind of interesting. And we're slowly starting to see that transition in our department on how we're hiring. 
and something bad just happened. Whoop. So, at one of the recent commissioner meetings, you presented a life-saving <coughs> award, and I wanted to go in a little more detail on this life-saving award. But the picture up there was uh, just our staff that was involved in the life-saving award, and it's kind of a split between Phil's staff, our dispatchers, and Zach's staff, our EMS uh, clinicians. So that picture is the global picture of everybody that was involved in saving a life. Uh, a 20-something year old went into cardiac arrest, and this is the crew that actually saved that 20-something. What I wanted to go into a little bit tonight is the chain of survival. And the chain of survival it was basically made for cardiac emergencies but you can take the chain of survival and apply it to almost every type of emergency. So the first step in the chain of survival is early recognition. And, and until somebody identifies that they're having an emergency, it's not an emergency yet. So prime example, I'm having a heart attack, I feel indigestion, I play it off as indigestion, and I go for hours not calling for help or seeking help. So the longer that period <clears throat> goes, the worse the emergency gets. The next step is the actual activation of 911, which is Phil's area of expertise and, and his crew's responsibility. And the good news is our dispatchers, when you call 911, our dispatch crew is trained to one, give you instructions over the phone on how to mitigate the issue until help shows up. Uh, the second thing is, which is a very common thing, is they start asking a lot of questions. And people get very impatient as they're asking questions. But the hidden secret in the room is there is a person dispatching a call and there's a person taking a call. So don't get frustrated with a person getting your information and giving you instructions on the phone because there's somebody sitting right beside them getting the, the, the units rolling on the street. So in the cardiac emergency, if we get to the point where it actually goes into cardiac arrest, the next step in the chain of survival is early CPR. So we spend a lot of time teaching CPR classes to general public, uh, schools, schools uh, all the county departments. I believe all the county departments are trained in, in uh, stop the bleed and CPR. Our AD program across the county is getting bigger and that's what really saves the lives, is the AED use, which I'll get into in a second. Uh, but basically, the initiation of CPR typically starts by the bystander, and I'm gonna get on, on that towards the end of this. Next step is law enforcement, and we've got a very unique agreement with our law enforcement partners in Queen Anne's County. I believe we are the only county in the state of Maryland that has equipped our local law enforcement with AEDs. And they're all trained in CPR and AED use. And they're part of our first response. So we have an agreement with the Sheriff's Office and we have an agreement with Centerville Police Department that every cardiac arrest that goes out, they also get alerted to respond on that call. Next is our fire department response. And our fire de department response team basically is set up to do the same thing. So the fire department shows up as a first responder. When the EMS units show up behind the fire department, the fire department takes a secondary role in the incident and does a lot of secondary things. 
So like the, the call the award went out for, the secondary role that they did was we flew that patient out uh, during the cardiac treatment of that patient. So they set up the landing zone and handed all the details of the landing zone after they helped with the care of the person. And then the EMS is kind of the final step. So early defibrillation is a key in the chain of survival. And one thing that you have supported for the last, I'd say, five plus years is our AED program, and it continuously grows through the county. As I said, all our law enforcement vehicles have AEDs equipped in them. Uh, I believe all the county buildings currently have at least one AED inside the, the county buildings. And now we're working to expand the program into our parks and recs system. So, so let me stop you there with the parks and recs. How are we, uh, how are we doing on that <clears throat> as far as getting these AEDs within minute locations? Because I know so, some of our parks are big and, and it, the AED could be on the other side of the park. Yes, so we're actually trying to do two-phase systems. So one, we're trying to equip every park's vehicle that has a radio in it with an AED. So very similar to when law enforcement gets a notification. If they're out working on the fields or they're war out working in the parks, they'll get a notification that there's a cardiac arrest in that area and they'll, they'll be able to respond to it with an AED in a short time frame. The second thing that we're doing is we're working with an organization. Team that, Trace. What is it? Team Trace. Team Trace. <clears throat> and we're working on getting actually AED stations put into the parks. Uh -huh and they're standalone stations. They're very nice, they're capable of calling 911, they're capable of uh, keeping the AEDs charged, and the biggest thing that they do is they environmentally protect the AED, so it's not exposed to the weather. Uh, but we're in early stages of, of negotiate, negotiating that with them, but I would say next year, this time, we should have several of these located in several of our parks. Thank you. Uh, so, and then the last part, which is really Zach's crew's responsibility is the uh, advanced resuscitation by the EMS providers uh, in the street. And, and uh, basically our role as the first responder, we can do everything in the field, basically the, the same thing that the ER can do within the first 30 to 40 minutes of the cardiac arrest we have the exact same capabilities. And then the continued treatment after we get them to the hospital. So the other things that we've done in the EMS division or kind of globally in our, our uh, department is we sponsored an electric vehicle fire class. Uh, it was a grant that we received, it was a federal grant that we received that actually allowed us to do five sessions we trained all the volunteer fire departments in our department in electrical vehicle fires and how to mitigate those, those issues when they arise. Uh, I actually attended one of the classes and I thought it was a very good session. They went from uh, batteries to in, in a remote all the way up to the batteries in a vehicle and how to handle them. Uh, it was a very educational uh, program that was uh, basically a full day class. And then the secondary thing, which, which I'm very proud of, Tim Phelan, uh, if you're familiar with him, is, he is kind of, we consider him in the EMS world as the god of 12 lead ECGs. And you ask what 12 lead ECGs are, and that's our cardiac monitor, and that's what takes a look at your heart. We were one of the first counties in the state of Maryland to adopt 12 lead ECGs. Uh, and I think we were the first county in the state to equip 
all of our paramedic units with 12 lead ECG capability. It is now the gold standard across the state. And Tim Phelan was actually, we contracted him back in, I believe it was the year 2000, to come in and teach the first 12 lead class in the state of Maryland. So it was kind of memory lane bringing him back and doing an educational class for, for us. And we both had brown hair the first time he was here. <laughs> uh, so that kind of dates me a little bit. The next division that we're gonna talk about is our communications <coughs> division, which is Phil's division. They've been a little bit on the slow side. They've handled about 63,000 calls this year, uh, which equates to about 196 calls per day or eight calls per hour. Unfortunately, those eight calls per hour are typically not spread out over the hour. Uh, what normally happens is we'll have an auto accident and we'll have 20 calls come in all at the same time. Because everybody, if you look down below, has a cell phone and 85% of our call volume comes in off of a wireless phone. Uh, and the interesting thing, I think, uh, and I keep dating myself in this presentation, but when I first started, it was probably 95% wired lines for 911 in almost every emergency that we handled. Uh, back then, uh, basically, we would get one phone call for that auto accident because they had to go find a pay phone to make, make the phone call. Uh, it's a little bit different now, and if you're ever standing in our 911 center when one of these calls come in, every phone lights up. One thing that's unique that doesn't happen anywhere else in the state of Maryland is we have kind of a, a ring around. So when our call volume hits six, which is how many people we have in a room, it automatically transfers that seventh call to the next center beside us. So you never hit a busy signal from any of our centers on the mid-shore. Our, our next one goes to Kent, Kent goes to Caroline, Caroline goes to Dorchester, Dorchester goes to Talbot, and Talbot comes to us. So, um, Scott, do you have any idea, um, obviously the calls, one thing, but how many incidents does that translate into approximately, would you think? Or how many times it transfers around that loop? No, 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 how many incidents, you've got 63,000 calls, but like you said, you might get 30 calls on one incident. How many incidents do you think that would be? So on the fire and EMS side, we're creeping right around 8,000 call volume for the year, right around that total. So is that like 8,000 separate incidents? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's, so that's on the law enforcement side, it's even higher. And I don't know the... So it's about 30,000 calls on the law enforcement They're side. They're singular that you're getting a call because this is going on, not getting 30 calls for it. Wow. So roughly 40,000 incidents. Wow. Yeah, we're a little bit on the slow side. <laughs> What's a larger county? I mean, we're 40,000 and a county of 50,000. What's some of the larger counties? If you hit Anne Arundel, just ballpark guess, I don't even know off the top of my head, but they're probably handling probably close to 400,000 in comparison to us. But they have a half a million population. population. Right. Ten times our population. Yeah. yeah. The math tracks. <laughs> yeah. And we're definitely seeing the, the, the math track as our population increases in the county. It's it's going up statistically the same as every other county. So Phil's staffing, uh, he's very similar to Zach. Every time I, I do a presentation, we're fully staffed, and, and by the time I do the presentation, we're not. I think we're one short in the communications division right now. We are three short. Three short total. Uh, <clears throat> one thing that, that uh, we're working on is every shift right now has at least one trainee on it and one shift has two trainees uh, 
So his uh, tomato chart is a lot more green than Zach's <laughs> tomato chart. Uh, but the good news is, is we've got an excellent training coordinator that's getting everybody up to speed and, and the personnel in the room are doing an excellent job uh, staying up uh, with the impact of that. And again, uh, <coughs> Human Resources is doing a, a great job keeping us connected and getting our staffing levels where they're supposed to be. I think uh, Beverly has stopped answering the phone every time she sees my caller ID, but they're doing, doing a fantastic job for us. And I think she's sitting back there somewhere. She is. Yeah. She's hiding. Uh, she's yeah. probably giving me the, the evil <laughs> eye right yeah. now. She just gave you the big eyebrow thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> up. We love our HR department. <laughs> uh, Fire Marshal's office. Uh, one thing that we've done a poor job at is basically educating you and kind of the general public exactly what our fire marshal's office does. So one of my goals for this upcoming year is kind of fixing that problem. So you're going to hear more about this uh, in future presentations. But I just wanted to kind of skim through a couple things. Their primary responsibility is to conduct plan reviews, and there's several types of plan reviews that they do. We do a lot of testing and inspections is another component that they do. And probably the biggest thing that we do is fire safety inspections. Uh, and we also handle basically all of like fire related complaints that come through the county, go through the fire marshal's office. So uh, some of the, the larger projects that we're working on right now are listed up on the screen. The one that I kind of want to highlight right now and, and give them kind of an attaboy for is the Graysonville Fire Station is almost ready to break ground, which is good news. They're long overdue for, for a new firehouse. They're in the process of replacing their firehouse. Uh, so congratulations to them on, on the progress that they've done on it. And uh, we've assisted them a little bit with a sprinkler, a sprinkler issue that, we're, that they were having, uh, but we're very excited to see them break ground <clears> on that. And I hit the wrong button again. So recently complete, completed projects, those are kind of the bigger ones that we've recent, recently completed, but there's two that I kind of want to point out. One is the YMCA. I kind of consider the YMCA the gym of the county, and if anybody hasn't had the opportunity to take a tour of the YMCA, I strongly recommend that they do so. It's close to my heart because when I was a child, my father was a director of our local YMCA, so I've seen a lot of YMCAs in my life, and that's the nicest YMCA I have ever walked into. So if you haven't seen it or don't have a membership, I highly encourage you to take a look at it. The other thing that's close to my heart is the toy chest. We need no more toy stores, in my opinion, so I highly recommend anybody going out and checking out the toy store in Queenstown. We found an applicant for the planning and zoning board. Director, <laughs> <laughs> where's uh, the indoor baseball in Queenstown? So that is kind of... By Baker's? Yeah, it's by Baker's, kind of on the edge of Baker's. It's hidden a little bit. If you don't know it's there, you'll drive right past it. Uh, but it's a very nice indoor facility. Uh, my child played there. Uh, it started as kind of like a soccer indoor facility. So my, my kids spent a lot of time there playing soccer in the wintertime. But it's kind of a nice all-around facility to kind of keep kids in sports over the winter. Another place I highly recommend going and checking out. It's a good crew working there. So our special operations division, uh, the big thing that we just finished is the Bay Bridge run. Uh, 
So that statistical information is close that's up there. We're actually having our debrief on this tomorrow. So I'll have the exact statistical information on, on the run. Uh, the big thing was it was the busiest year that we've had on the EMS side. We actually had six transports where people were actually transported off the course to an area hospital with a variety of complaints. Uh, the one noted, which I'm extremely proud of, I know Zach is extremely proud of, and everybody involved in the planning process, but we had a gentleman that was, I believe, 53 years of age go into cardiac arrest, and he was about 20 yards from the finish line, didn't make it to the finish line. Uh, you go back to that chain of survival that I talked about, it played a major role on, on how everything functioned. So he collapsed right in front of one of our deputies. The deputy identified the collapse, immediately called into our command center. Uh, we had cameras that we could zoom in. We actually saw what was going on. We could lead the group to his site very, very quickly. The officer immediately started CPR on this gentleman. Uh, within, I'd say, about a minute to a minute and a half, we had a paramedic unit and the whole medical tent on site with the gentleman. The good news is he was talking to us by the time we got him to the emergency department, and he just visited us last week to thank us for saving his life. Uh, what's unique about this is we've done about 10 of these runs so far, and we've had two cardiac arrests. Both cardiac arrests are still alive today and still walking and talking. And that's thanks to the efforts of the EMS group. Lori's division, which does all the pre-planning, uh, this shows that they do an excellent job at pre-planning this event and taking care of the medical side of it. Uh, I'm very proud of the services that they do. Phil's group handles all the communications of the event. They do an excellent job. Uh, but we also handled, that says nine refusals, but we got kind of an update on that. We actually had seven patient refusals. While that's significant, we actually evaluated a patient and they probably should have gone to the emergency department and the person evaluating felt they should have and that's why we got a refusal from them. So we probably should have had more than six transports and then we probably equated into uh, 13 assist provided, which they didn't get to the level that we would do a patient refusal on. So we had over 20 people that we took care of throughout the event. Uh, and everybody made it home safely, which we're, we're happy to announce. And then the last thing is a thank you, because everything that we presented tonight is because of how you support us and the support that you give us and the tools that you give Zach, Phil, and the rest of our crews at our, our department. Hopefully you see the value of it in the, in the life-saving techniques that, that are available at our fingertips. I, I honestly say across the state of Maryland, we have the best equipped units. We have one of the best equipped 911 centers, and I'm very proud of everything that we have, and it's thanks to everything that you support. So thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you, guys. Good job. And Excellent. do you have any questions for us? I uh, just want to acknowledge your EV program, how quickly you brought that together. I know Jack was part of that too in the FEC, so thank you for doing that. It's gonna come. So there, there's a lot more to come on that. So the, on the fire community, uh, 
they're currently investigating some options of tools that they can purchase to, to help extinguish those fires. Uh, but we definitely have taken the first step in getting the, the field providers and the field firefighters trained in it. So anything else? Good. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And I, I promise a better presentation by better presenters next time. <laughs> they, they looked rather happy doing that job there. Yes, absolutely. We, we appreciate that, and we will definitely pass that on to her. Yep. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Great presentation this evening. All right, commissioners, we're just a few minutes behind schedule, but next we have, uh, we can move to legislation. If you want to turn to tab number seven, we have, uh, next we have a public hearing on the comprehensive water and sewer plan. This is a follow-up public hearing to the informational meeting that we had two weeks ago. So, um, Mr. Thompson, I believe, is here. Uh, looking for Alan Quimby? Okay, looking for Director Quimby. So come on up, gentlemen, and um, you may proceed with the uh, public hearing. Ready? Yes, sir. This is a public hearing being held by the County Commissioner of Queen Anne's County uh, Tuesday, November 28, 2023 in the Commissioner's Meeting Room located in the Liberty Building, 107 North Liberty Street, Central Maryland. The purpose of the hearing is to consider two amendments to the Queen Anne's County 2011 Comprehensive Water and Sewage Plan. In addition to this hearing, an informational presentation was held on Tuesday, uh, November 14th, 2023. Um, copies of the proposed amendments have been available in the Office of the County Commissioners uh, and electronically uh, by sending a request to aquimby at qac.org. All hearing sites are accessible to individuals with disabilities, sign language interpreters, and assistive listening systems are available for individuals with hearing impairments. Persons who wish to comment on the proposed amendment may do, amendments may do so at the hearing. Speakers will be limited to three minutes each, but written testimony of any length can be submitted on or before the hearing date to the Director of Public Works, 312 Safety Drive, Central Maryland. Part of the record of the proceeding will be a certificate of publication indicating that notice of the hearing is published for two successive weeks in the Bay Times Record Observer newspapers of general circulation in Queen Anne's County. The first uh, proposed amendment is Town of Centerville Wastewater Treatment Plan. This text amendment re reflects a request to increase the wastewater treatment capacity at the Town of Centerville's Wastewater Treatment Plan. The wastewater treatment plant currently has a permitted ca capacity of 542,000 gallons per day and utilizes groundwater discharge via spray irrigation on a seasonal basis on its lands located at 751 Hope Road, April 1st through November 30th. 
and a surface water discharge into gravel run stream the remainder of the year, December 1st through March 31st. This amendment seeks to increase capacity 1 million gallons per day with the increase in capacity being surface water discharge year-round. In, in order to accommodate this surface water discharge increase, the current wastewater treatment plant the current wastewater treatment plant outfall point is proposed to be extended from its current location within a gravel run stream immediately adjacent to the wastewater treatment plant to a more, more to a new point directly into the Corsica River. The existing spray irrigation facility will remain in operation seasonally at its current capacity. A number of people have they signed up, signed the wrong sheet. Yeah. I think these people have signed up for for this amendment, but if not, you want to let Senator give it the presentation first. Though. Oh, yeah. There, there, someone here from town, Senator. Yeah. Yeah. Is there someone here from the town of Senator? Yeah. Right there. <clears throat> let them speak first. All right. Well, hello again. Evening. Back. Long time no see. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for that summary. I can skip over all of that information. And we have the right. right here. Okay. Let's click the. We have instructions for the clicker. What am I clicking? Bruce. Oh. There you go. Oh. Thank you. All right. So again, thank you all. Thank you for the summary. Um, we'll jump right into the presentation. Our goal here is to discuss the increase of our wastewater treatment plant and to discuss stream discharge. So we'll go a little bit back and talk about the upgrade approach, and then we'll come back into some of the science and the, all the discussion that we have had here today. So our goal here is a phased approach where we will take into consideration all the engineering, the comprehensive plans, the growth between town and county to bring that together, obviously before we move forward. So secondary to that is gonna be funding. So currently, which we'll get into that a little later in a little more detail, we have secured some federal and some state funding. We are also continuing to look for grants at the state and federal level, as well as uh, we have some phased earmark, earmarked funding from the federal level over the course of five years. Um, we also will talk about the engineering which is the enhanced nutrient removal or ENR, as well as filtering uh, through a membrane technology and then talk about other discharge technologies, which we'll deal with that later. So here's a quick high level overview of the timeline. The uh, rough order of magnitude would be four years before we went into completion. Um, and that's obviously provided everything goes smoothly, that takes in, I mean, this does not take into consideration, you know, c 
conditions, decisions, uh, environmental factors. So this is a very rough schedule. We are currently somewhere in between the C, D, and E areas. So the comp plan, which we are here to discuss today, the farm or and or stream discharge option, and then we have already engaged MDE in some of our discussions so we can know what options are available currently to us. So partnerships and alignment are going to fall with in alignment with the county growth plan as well as the how the wastewater treatment plant will work in concert with that growth as well as for the town of Centerfield's growth. So just to name a few, the 304-301 interchange, some of the infill development, the business park development, mixed commercial use options, the Department of Health um, has sent out notification on failing septic in, uh, towards the end of town, and there's been mention of a sanitary enclave. Um, how the wastewater treatment plant will help in those growth options, obviously, is through an upgrade. And then we can also offer a denial of service line extension as well through, through the upgrade. So some of the variables that I think we've mentioned, um, so from a planning and design perspective, uh, we talked about the membrane option. That is something that we've done pretty extensive research on and are pretty confident that that is the best option for us to utilize right now. I do know there are some neighboring uh, municipalities that are using membrane technology and it's been proven to be pretty, uh, you know, optimal. Um, we definitely have degrading software. We need to upgrade our software as well. We are piecemealing together our current software and some of it is actually unsupported um, at this time. So that is definitely gonna be a part of our upgrade. Size and capacity. Um, to maintain size and capacity from a future perspective, we can um, you know, take some of our allocation fees to help start to fund future expansion so that we don't have to keep pulling and pulling and pulling and looking for money here and looking for money there to be able to sustain our plant you know, once it's upgraded and forward. Um, we obviously want to, as I've stated, uh, support the town and county growth and planning efforts and by uh, upgrading the plant, it would do that for both the town and the county. Um, so the discharge options, which is probably the biggest topic here. Uh, right now, the reason that we are looking into the stream discharge option is because we have spent years on trying to uh, secure a farm, a second farm, to cover the additional discharge of 4.458 MGD. Um, we have been very unsuccessful in locating another farm. Uh, we've talked to countless owners and it's just not feasible. That either it's just a resource shortage or people don't want to sell their land. So we've had to look at more optimal ways to see how we can meet the needs of the growth as well as discharge so that we could expand the plant to accommodate the growth. Um, so 12 million is up there, but we have gotten quotes for $22 million for a farm. So just putting it out there, but 12 million is probably more like our budget <laughs> for a farm. And then uh, to get to the furthest farm that we had uh, the $22 million offer on, 
it would cost us $1 million per mile to reach that furthest farm that was proposed. Um, and so that brings us to the direct uh, enhanced stream discharge option. Um, this is on the table. And yes, there's still a lot of research to be done. It is quite frankly the most viable and most cost effective at this time. And it would extend past the Watson Road Bridge as discussed. So I'm gonna pass it over to my buddy here. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Jadil. You're um, welcome. Yeah, they um, brought me up here to talk about um, the funding for this project. Um, most of the funding we have secured so far are, are grants and our goal is to um, not have much in the way of loans. The, at the present time, um, over well, almost half of the funding would be would come out of loans, but we, um, we we're working with the state to see if that could be offset by grants um, over the next five over over a five year period. But in, in order to proceed with that, we would need to have um, all of our ducks in a row. That would include the the county water and sewer plan would have to include this upgrade in addition to. Um, uh, completing our comprehensive plan, which we should have completed by next month. So all of this needs to work together in order for us to, to proceed. Um, I don't think there's um, really the stomach to have, have a, a $15 million loan for the town to complete this plan. Um, I, yeah, um, we're still paying off loans from the previous plant that we built 20 years ago. And uh, I don't think the citizens of our town really want to do that. So really, we're just asking for this um, amendment at the present time so we can proceed with um, uh, lobbying the state to get um, additional funding. Thank you. So I'm going to pass it to David Nixon. He will get into more of the infrastructure layout and plans for how we'll treat the water and how it will be, how the effluent will be disposed of. Thank you, Janelle. No problem. I'm David Nixon. I'm a professional engineer licensed in six states, and I uh, design water treatment systems, both water and wastewater systems. I work for Whitman Reckhart and Associates. We're a consulting engineering firm. Uh, we've been cleaning water in, in Maryland for more than 100 years, and we take that very seriously. Um, one of the reasons for the, the expansion is that the, the existing treatment plant uh, is nearing its capacity, and treatment plants get more challenging as they, they reach their capacities. It's like driving a car faster and faster. More skilled people can do it, um, but any small upset can have a, a devastating outcome. Um, so there, there's a real need for that. And certainly during the high flow periods, wet weather periods, that's a, a very challenging period um, just to keep the water going through the, the treatment plant and bring it back um, to a stable condition after the, the wet weather flows. Additionally, the, the existing solids handling and, and disposal operations is very outdated, very labor intensive, um, and would be an upgraded um, as well to allow the, um, the solids to be disposed of uh, with land application uh, to get the nutrient value out of the, the, uh, the biosolids. <clears throat> so this is the, the current configuration. Uh, obviously water comes out of uh, the aquifer, of the wells, um, goes through the water treatment plants. 
um, goes through the households, businesses, and then goes to the existing uh, wastewater treatment plant, which is biological nutrient removal, uh, which refers to the nitrogen and phosphorus levels in the, um, the effluent, the treated effluent. Um, and again, that gets discharged to the stream part of the year, and it gets pumped over to a holding lagoon uh, so they can be sprayed onto a spray field um, the rest of the year. And what we're proposing, the, the water part of it all stays the same, but we're proposing to upgrade the, the treatment so the, the water quality uh, would be better. It is going to meet the, the enhanced nutrient removal, which means significantly lower nitrogen and phosphorus levels um, would be attained with the, the new treatment process, <coughs> and it needs to be expanded so that it can handle even the, the existing uh, wastewater flows that you have. Um, along with any future growth that you want to have uh, would require a, an expansion in the, the treatment process. Um, and so we're proposing the, the extended stream discharge to go year-round uh, with the, the higher quality water, um, as well as continuing to use the, the spray irrigation field. And the higher quality water would also be going to the spray irrigation fields. Um, so the, that also gets a benefit to the, to the groundwater system and what does make it back into the the course cut and into the Chesapeake Bay. So a little summary, and again, it's extensive. I mean, these are big numbers that we're talking about. These are very large, expensive, complex systems um, that we design and get operated to, to clean the water. Um, and it's a multi-step process. It's mechanical, it's chemical, it's uh, biological treatment. We're using UV disinfection, um, so we're taking out the solids, we're treating the, um, the dissolved contaminants in the, the wastewater, um, and then we're disinfecting that treated wastewater, and that's what gets um, dis discharged. Uh, and then again, the solids that get removed from the, the treatment process, both the, the inorganic as well as some of the um, biological um, material that's, that's grown in the treatment process, all gets removed. It's going to be stabilized um, to meet a, a class B land, can be land applied, um, then dewatered, and um, again, land application, I already said that. So this, if you haven't seen the, the wastewater treatment plant, it's a little hard to, to see driving by. Uh, you need to take a trip over there, but if you look on, on Google Earth, um, you will see the, the couple of parcels that the, uh, the wastewater treatment plant resides on. Um, and currently the gravel run runs along the, um, the upper side of the, the wastewater treatment plant and the existing stream discharge is pointed out by the, the yellow uh, arrow. Uh, and we're proposing to, to move that out, which would be consistent with the uh, MDE document um, that was developed in 2000 and approved by the, the EPA where they studied the, the the health of the, the Corsica River and the um, capacity for it to, to receive the, the treated effluent. And it suggests that if the uh, outfall is extended out past the, the Watson Road Bridge and we take the, the nitrogen and phosphorus and bacteria levels down uh, to levels that we can do with the, the ENR system, that that's a, an acceptable um, way to, to dispose of the, the treated wastewater. <clears throat> and that's in that, that 2000 document. And we're just 
following along with that. I'm not sure why that wasn't pursued in, in 2003. I, I, I do know that, uh, again, the, the ENR, the enhanced nutrient removal, um, really wasn't developed in 2003. Uh, the first plants to upgrade to 2000, or the first plants to upgrade to ENR uh, were about 2006, 2007. Um, so there's several years after the, the Centerville treatment process was upgraded last time. I appreciate your time, and I, again, I, I take my job very seriously. Whitman Reckhart has been in this business. We clean, we clean water. Um, so. That concludes our presentation. So we'll uh, I got a question. Uh, Alan, what are, what are we discharging? Two and a half million gallons? Who? Right now. Uh, gallons? Yeah. Yes. About two and a half million, and that's, that's an ENR. So is what they intend to do here the same filtration system basically that we have maybe just on a smaller scale? No, they, they have a membrane system which we don't have. One of the advantages for a membrane system is you don't need as much land area. So they got tight site, whereas we had, we just got big tanks. They don't have that option to have that large tank. So they don't actually have a filter, which is the membrane, which we do not have. So, so at the end of the day, is the, the water quality coming from their plant the same as coming from our plant? Same thing? Okay. Thank you. Yes. Now that was going to be my question, the comparison between the affluent that we discharge and what their system will. Correct, yeah. I mean, enhanced nutrient removal limits are, are generally the, the highest uh, quality water effluent. And how you get there, I mean, there's several ways um, that we've designed different systems um, to meet the E&R. Um, requirements. So, Alan, how does that affect the countywide TMDL with uh, upgrading this? So it's per plant, right? So it's they don't do it cumulative for the outfalls for one county. The MDE uh, TMDL document is for Corsica River, and Centerville is the only point source, the only wastewater treatment plant that discharges into the the Corsica River. So your existing plant right now, what is what is its filtration? I mean, how would you gauge that from what you're getting ready to propose to do? I mean, you have spray irrigation right now. So what you're spraying now, I'm assuming what you'd be spraying in the future if this is done will be a lot cleaner. For the, the nitrogen and phosphorus levels, definitely. For the, the TSS, the, the uh, Centerville has an existing uh, cloth media filtration, which is really what it sounds like. Um, it's going through a cloth media, pushing the water through and capturing out the, the solids from it and discharging them. The membrane is a, it's either a polymer or, or a ceramic that has specifically sized holes. Um, and we've gotten very good at making membranes um, to be able to pass a specific size. And the, the membranes are, are chosen so that they can exclude, they can withhold all of bacteria. So it's down to that, that size. You're talking holes at molecular level. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But do, do we run ours to ultraviolet or some sort of light that also kills? Yeah. Disinfection that they have that now. Oh, you already have that. Right. Before. And that, that's for the bacteria mm -hmm. kill. Yes. That's very important as well. And that's still going to be installed. That's installed in every uh, MBR plant, even though some would prefer not to run their, their disinfection because the, the, the MBR is so good but MDE has not allowed that. So every, 
every membrane plant um, has disinfection downstream, either ultraviolet light or chlorine. And you're, you're basically, you're already discharging 542,000 gallons <coughs> into the Corsica correct. today. Correct. Matter of fact, because we're in November, it's started this month, correct? Correct. Okay. Else have questions? You got testimony now, or we have several people have public comments. Certainly, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, people I have signed up to speak are Kurt Radowski. Corsica 117 Quail Run Drive. Uh, question is, I guess we're still in the figuring out how, how this will affect the Corsica. Um, my house would be right there where the discharge is. Um, kind of wondering where this discharge would actually be. If it's, if it's going to be deep enough, I don't know where it's going to be. I know we're boating right now. When we hit low tide, boats are grounding out and we don't need a steel <coughs> pipe to be tearing up out drives. But that's a minor thing as compared to what effect this is going to have on the Corsica. The, the ramps being used, people are fishing down there. You know, what will the effects be? This is what we need to know. What I would like to know before anything is dumped into the Corsica. Okay, thank you. Um, Tom Tracy. My name is Tom Tracy. I live at 141 Quail Run Drive. Uh, I certainly appreciate the town's need for increased capacity and, and certainly don't I understand I certainly understand how that works. However, I have great concern about the putting the water into the Corsica River uh, for a number of reasons. First, um, when we have residents move in, like myself who recently built there, we're very cautious about having us invest in the bat systems to make sure our septic, which doesn't go into the river, is better than anybody else in the county. We make sure that we invest in things like I had to plant a lot of trees to make up just for the rainwater that might go in. But here, costs become an issue when it's their costs, and we're going to try to find the least costly way instead of the least effective way to do this, which is my primary concern. I certainly understand what they're doing from a filtration perspective, having done wastewater filtration in some of my previous life with plants, not, not septic, but other wastewater. Um, and if they are so sure it can be safe, I would recommend a gray water program where you could irrigate the county's properties with it um, if it is so safe that you could do that instead of putting it into the river or look at other options. I certainly appreciate that the investment would be great in a farm, but that cost should be borne by the people who benefit from the new capacity, not by taking it out in the environment. That's all I had to say. Uh, Mary and Mike King. So if I understand this correctly, the wa wastewater, treated wastewater, will you, still have... Your name and address? Oh, my name is Mary King. Yeah. I live at 121 Quail Run Drive on the Corsica River. Um, my understanding, the water that comes out of this new treatment system will still have nitrogen and phosphorus and bacteria. Lower levels, but it will still have it. There are already signs on the Corsica River that you can only eat so many fish a week or it's detrimental to your health. So has anybody done a study 
as far as what this nitrogen, phosphorus, and bacteria, whatever levels it's at, will affect the fish, any kind of, um, well, people. Kids like to swim. I'm afraid to let our grandkids go in that river right now. And if you're going to add more bacteria, more nitrogen, more phosphorus, it's out of the question. So I, I just think there has to be a study done and let us know what the effects are. Do any of you live on the Corsica River? Anybody? Okay. So I think we ought to have a say in what, what goes into that river. We're living there. We have kids that want to go in the river, people that want to fish. Some people live off those fish. They fish there, they take them home and eat them. And right now there's a limit to what you can eat. What's it going to be after this happens? That's my comment. Thank you. Well, that's all I have signed up. Is there anybody else? Yes, ma'am. I just want to say, I'm Barbara Sharkey, and I live on 405 Quail Run Drive. Um, you may not live on the river, but I'm sure you've all played on the river at some point or another. Um, when the first wastewater treatment plant was redone years ago, the river was terrible. And the fact that we were spraying the effluent on the farm fields instead of putting it directly into the river during the summer months was looked at by everyone as the leading edge thing to do. We were brought up as a good way to do it. Um, I think if we change it so that we are, I know not, I, I, there's still half of the wastewater treatment plant that goes out will stay on the fields as I understand it. It's just the new stuff. The new stuff and the new technology does not take out the plastics, the particle plastics that are in, that we're finding out are in all the water now and also any drugs that somebody may put down their toilet or um, pharmaceuticals, that stays in the water. It doesn't come out with this new process. Just this year, for the first time, you know, Shore Rivers does testing on all of the rivers and the creeks and everything on, in the estuary. Um, and they do it in the town wharf and at different places on the Corsica. This year, for the first time, we actually had swimmable water at the, at the wharf area. That is amazing. I mean, I'm not sure I'd want to swim in it, but that was the testing that it was safe enough. I would hate to see us go back and have all this stuff going directly into the river to the point where it's no longer a jewel in our county. Over the past years, how many more people are using it? They have a playground down there. People are there. They're fishing. We have fishing derbies down there. It's just a wonderful place to be. Let's keep it that way. That's all I have to say. Any other public comment with the question with respect to the town center bills amendment request? All right. The uh, second proposed amendment is for Northwest Chester Water Main Extension. This map amendment adds two properties to those properties which are already upgraded via Amendment 11-18. This will upgrade the water service area map designations from W2, from W3 to W2, 
for tax map 57, parcels 143 and 356, located at the intersection of Main Street and Shopping Center Road, to allow those properties to connect to water when they so desire. No one signed up, uh, I believe. Is there any public comment with, with respect to this amendment? All right, we'll, we'll close, close all the public comment. Uh, Pat, can you tell us what, or, or Alan, what, what is the process for this permit for the town of Centerville? How does this work? I mean, uh, some of these questions are some good questions, and I'd like to see what DNR says and, and you know, uh, MDE, uh, excuse me, uh, with reference to water quality and what this is going to do and not do. Well, um, you have the proposal in front of you, but you're under no time constraints as to when you act on it, if that's what you're asking, if you need okay. to take additional but time. The, but the next step is us act on it, and I guess, and then where does it go? For instance, if we were to vote on this in two weeks, what, what, what's the next step in the process? Well, if I, Alan, you may be better than me, but if I understand, MDE has to approve. Yeah, they'll have uh, considerable They'll have to have considerable evidence to demonstrate to MDE that what they're proposing is feasible and within the TMDL regulations. I think they'd have, I bet they'd have a year to 18 months just to get a draft permit out of MDE, assuming MDE even goes that far. Um, at that point, MDE will have a public hearing so that people would have another opportunity to speak to the subject matter. Um, can MDE the, tell them that they, they, they have to reduce the, the amount that they're requesting on the permit? That's what they want, yes. Yeah, so they can come back and say, no, you can't do a million, you, have to, you can do 750000 or whatever, correct? Right. Okay. If they can demonstrate <laughs> that the Corsica can assimilate the extra, they can reduce them. They'll give them the threshold that they can. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I mean, this is just me talking. I don't know, I have no idea. But I'd be surprised they didn't require the, the outfall to go at least past that point at the end of the subdivision these folks live at. Because there's, there's maybe three to five foot of water until you get to that point if, on a good day. So I just don't, and, and they're going to require a diffuser. So you just can't, I don't see you diffusing half a million gallons a day in three to five foot of water. Yeah, that seems like a lot of flow in that little area. Is there is there any reason why we have to go first? I mean, I guess to me, because there's a lot of MD, questions that I have. And, and, MDE you know, has required to have this prior to their. Yeah, MDE. I mean, they'll talk to you, but they, they won't take you serious until you're amended into county sewer and water plan. But you're like Patrick says. You're well. You actually are under a time constraint. If you don't make a decision within 60 days, it's automatically denied. But you can certainly ask for additional clarification from the applicants. You don't have to close, open the record or keep the record open for just two weeks. You can keep it open for eight weeks and try to get more information. But, but where our plan is written, due to issues we had long before, after 60 days, it's automatically denied. So you are in that time constraint. But they can always reapply. Hmm? I forgot that. Nah. What, is, what would be the extra 
allows it to go farther out, as opposed to the three or five foot water that we're looking at now. How, how deep does it get out there? Well, it depends on how deep you want to get. It, you'll have to go quite a distance to get more than eight foot. You'll have to go past Gray Fox Farm probably to get anything more than eight. But I, I, I did, I'm just not. Is that a mile? Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you, she used a uh, metric of a million dollars a mile, which is as good as number as any. Yeah, you would have to drill it. I don't. I would assume they're going to have to direction drill or direction or yeah. That's an issue too. I mean, you can't drill through slop, and that's what the Corsica is. And at first reach, it just it's just slough. It's just you got to have some resistance for you to be able to drill in. So I don't know. there's a lot of questions. Hmm. Okay. Running around there many times. I know exactly what it's like. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. We're going to keep it open. Find a farm. Yeah. Well, oh. it doesn't help them in the wintertime. I know. Yeah. But still. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing about the wintertime is that there's no biological or very little biological activity in the river. So that's why they kind of. About the heat is the. Yeah. And, uh, and to the point about the fish, the fish advisories are due to chemical PCBs and stuff. It's, it's not a TN. Not to say the TN won't impact the river which it will that's the whole point of removing nitrogen because you get an algae bloom the algae dies the algae decomposes then it takes the oxygen out of the water that's that's the issue but um and microplastics are, that, that's an issue and pharmaceuticals are an issue we don't remove either of those either so microplastics nothing's gonna and that's that's there now so and the, one of the yeah the whole PFOS monster So, I mean, I, there's a lot of questions, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. We're done. We're done. We're done. Thank you. We're, We're going to keep the record open. We're going to keep the record open. Yeah. i got to give you a definite time. How many? Well, there was, two, there was two amendment requests, one for the Northwest. Oh, we can take care of that one. Yeah. We'll take care of that one in two weeks. Sure. Yeah, keep the record over two weeks. Right now, if you want. Yeah. But it doesn't make any difference. Over. Excuse me? Makes no difference. I would typically leave them open two weeks, so let's just do it. Yeah. Minimum. <laughs> this case might be a little longer, but yeah. yeah. So that's, we'll do that. And we did get two, uh, I think you all got two other testimony through via email. Yes. On this. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Quimby. Mr. Thompson, thank you. All right, commissioners, we can move into the uh, action items for this evening. We have um, five in total. So if you want to turn over to tab number three, we can run through these. <clears throat> so under, under tab three, item one, page one, we have uh, proclamation 23-54 for Small Business Saturday. All righty. Proclamation 23-54, whereas the Queen Anne's County Commissioners celebrate our local small businesses and the contributions they make to our local economy and community, and whereas according to the U.S. Small Business Administration, there are 33.2 million small businesses in the United States. Small businesses represent 99.7% of the firms with paid employees, and small businesses are responsible for 62.7% 
<clears throat> of net new jobs created since 1995. And small businesses employ 46.4% of the employees in the private sector in the United States. Whereas uh, 68 cents of every dollar spent at a small business in the United States stays in the local community, and every dollar spent on a small business creates an additional 48 cents in the local business activity as a result of employees <clears throat> and local businesses purchasing local goods and services. Whereas 72% of consumers reported that the small business Saturday 2022 made them want to shop and uh, dine at small independently owned retailers and restaurants all year long. Whereas the Queen Anne's County Commissioners support our local businesses that create jobs, boost our local economy and preserve our communities. And whereas advocacy groups as well as public and private organizations across the country have endorsed the Saturday after Thanksgiving as Small Business Saturday, but you can really do it any Saturday in December if you would like. <clears throat> now therefore, Queen Anne's County Commissioners do hereby proclaim November 25th, 2023, and every day in December um, as Small Business Saturday, uh, and urge the residents of our community and our communities across the country to support, support small businesses at Merchants uh, on Small Business Saturday and to shop throughout the year. Here, here. Thank That's you it. very much. Well done, brother. Yeah, I did that. <clears throat> Thank you, Commissioner Corcorina, for reciting that very well. All right, our next two items uh, are from the Director of Human Resources, Beverly Churchill, who here is here with us. Uh, item two on pages two through 38, uh, Beverly and uh, the Communication and Morale Committee has uh, been working on several additional revised policies for consideration of approval, including our educational assistance policy, the employee recognition policy, environmental responsibility program, the hazard communication program, and the inclement weather emergency closing influ influenza outbreaks policy and the retirement disability policy. So could I get a motion on those? I move to approve the revised standard operating policies to be effective January 1, 2024. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? So moved. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Uh, item number three on pages uh, 39 through 41. This is the county deferred compensation bylaw revision and planned administration retention. So if you recall, back in 2020, we transitioned from three um, 457 deferred compensation vendors to one, which is Voya Financial. Uh, the deferred compensation plan is a voluntary benefit available to all full-time county employees to enhance their retirement income. As a result of this transition, the county established a 457 governance committee. Uh, they have approved uh, their bylaws um, and they have recently updated those approved bylaws and the committee now is asking for these bylaws to be reviewed and approved by the board commissioners and that the Voya Financial also be retained for an additional three years as our county 457B plan administrator. I move to, uh, I move to approve the county's 457B bylaws as revised and also move to retain Voya Financial as the deferred compensation plan administrator for an additional three years. Second. We have a motion in a second. Any discussion on this topic? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you very much, commissioners. 
All right, item number four is the, uh, from Megan Delgadio. This is the, um, for the broadband long driveway program. And uh, this is a request to um, uh, provide an, an additional $250,000 from the ARPA funds uh, for the broadband project funding to be added to that budget. Uh, we had some funds uh, that were provided through this um, source earlier, uh, also $250,000, and that has been exhausted. We are applying for a new grant, uh, which is due uh, mid-December, and that's for a million dollars for the long driveway extension program, which will enhance this, uh, this particular budget, and that will also provide us a better opportunity to get that million dollars for our long driveway program, which will provide for uh, broadband services uh, within our community. So uh, the state program allows for up to $8,000 per home, and we are offering to pay for up to $13,500 per resident. Move that we approve the request to provide $250,000 of funds to continue implementation of the Queen Anne's County Long Driveway Program in anticipation of receiving a $1 million state grant to support the expansion of broadband in Queen Anne's County. Second. So a motion and a second. Any discussion on this item? Seeing none. We got. We got to get across the finish line. I'm telling you, we're this close. We got to keep going. That's literally the last mile. So. Yes. All right. Uh, all those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed. <clears throat> so moved. All right. Thank you, commissioners. And our last action item for this evening is a letter from the Board of Education. This is for their capital project funding letter of support. Uh, they are asking uh, from the commissioners to submit to the Interagency Commission on School Construction stating uh, the FY25 capital project goals and the funding commitments for those projects. Two of the projects have already received local funding and two were included in our adopted five-year capital plan. And they include um, two that were funded uh, previously, include the Queen Anne's County High School roof replacement at $4.5 million. That was funded back in fiscal 23. The uh, Kennard Elementary fire alarm replacement was funded in FY24. Actually, that was funded at $142,000. They're seeking $171,000 for that. Then we have the Centerville Middle School for planning and design, uh, $2.159 million, which is proposed for FY25. And the Queen Anne's County High School fire alarm replacement at $560,000 thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars also proposed for FY 25 so I'll make the motion I move to execute the Board of <coughs> Education capital project funding letter of support for FY 2025 capital project funding second you have a motion a second yeah so I, I guess the net on this because it can be confusing um, the nets truly on this budget 25 is really 2.7 roughly correct yeah yeah, I just don't want the public when they look at us think we're approving nine million here. We're really only approving two point seven because that's correct. The other stuff has already been approved and sent on its way. So that's right. Any other discussion? I'll just mention that we had a short tour today at the Centerville Middle School today. A couple of the commissioners were there today, so we have some Board of Education representatives here. If you have any other questions uh, for them, uh, they were nice enough to come here this evening and. I'll be here for the final. Yeah, they cleaned up too. Season. Look at that. Yeah, they sure did. I, I'm saying, who are those in the back there? <laughs> That's right. So, but uh, no, I mean, uh, I, this is this is the beginning of something that uh, they've been asking for, and and you know, with the tour today, uh, Centerville Middle School. This is the first step in the process uh, to moving towards a either a remodel or a brand new building. So we're you know the, the studies are going to be out and. 
I know which way I'm going to go, but uh, we'll wait till that time comes around. Um, but I appreciate everything you guys are doing, you know. So, uh, that being said, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? <coughs> Abstained? So moved. Five up. Here we go. <clears throat> Thank you, commissioners. That is all of our action items. Thank you all for coming this evening. Um, we can move into press and public comments, part two. Anybody else wants to? Who wants to speak? I think we're good on that front. We'll jump over that one. All right. Any uh, emailed uh, comments? I think digital. Okay. Okay. All right. All righty. Uh, table. Let's see. We'll go. We'll go. Start number four first. Nothing. Nothing. Number three. Um, just a couple quick things. Um, so th this was given to the commissioners today. It's just a reminder that you have the Festival of Trains at the Queen, the old uh, outlets out there. Um, so I would give it a, a look-see. Um, Saturday and Sunday, December 2nd and 3rd, and then the 9th and the 10th, and this is from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And they're boasting a very large area of model trains well. and some uh, opportunities to get your picture taken with Santa as well. So um, Saturday morning, uh, bright and early, I joined our Queen Anne's County Watermen's Association members to construct the Crabassa Christmas trees this year. So we had um, a large amount of, of sponsors. Uh, I would certainly be remiss if I didn't thank Commissioner Jim Moran and, and Increate for their donation. Um, this is the largest um, of three fundraising efforts that the Queen Anne's County Wanderers Association does each year. And just for the folks that are tuning in, um, they take the proceeds uh, from their fundraisers, which include the crab feasts and things like that, and, and these trees, to purchase shell and spat to reharvest um, our oyster population in the bay. Um, obviously, this is their livelihood, and they're challenged often during legislation in Annapolis um, by these landlocked uh, counties' leadership um, to try to um, overregulate. So, uh, if you enjoy your seafood, if you enjoy your oysters and your crabs, we need to support our Queen Anne's County watermen. Um, so, next Saturday, starting at 2 o'clock, they're going to have um, some vendor tents set up. Uh, and then I believe at 6 o'clock, Santa's going to come and they're going to light the basket tree. So if you don't have any plans for next Saturday, starting at 2 o'clock, this Saturday. This Saturday. Yeah, this yeah, Saturday. This Saturday coming up. Um, get down to the, the Kent Narrows. Uh, it's right there, the Fisherman's Crab Deck uh, parking lot. And enjoying the festivities. And that's all I have. All right. Patrick? Uh, on Saturday, I visited a abandoned ranch farm that could potentially be a residential treatment center for kids at youth, uh, kids at risk. Um, but I'll leave it at that. I just wanted to acknowledge it was a rough week for some, some of our county employee families or uh, extension of our county employee, uh, employee families. So I just wanted to mention them. Uh, Lorenzo Thomas DiPietro, uh, who's the father of Teresa Steinheis, passed. Um, we lift up the Katinas family, 
in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, Debbie Hopkin, uh, Hopkins' uh, family and Nicole Heffer's um, mom passed. So uh, just wanted to share that. Yeah. Well, Phil got touched on the Waterman's thing, I guess. Left a little segue for Annapolis and, and policy, and I guess I'll mm -hmm. light, it, light that fire right now. I mean, um, <laughs> so the conventional wisdom is um, our, our farmers and our watermen had pretty much a honeymoon last uh, session uh, with a new governor, new you know, new legislators there, getting their feet wet, figuring out uh, which direction they wanted to, I guess, uh, push their legacy out to. Um, one of the things I think is, is going to be a topic of conversation, and the only reason I say it is it was on Fox 45 this morning, so it's kind of like being on Facebook. Um, <laughs> something's going to happen with it. But uh, no, they brought, up, they brought up the Kerwin funding, and, it, and what's interesting about it is, and, and for anybody that's seen us as five commissioners, and you know, Patrick, obviously when, there, when Stevie was sat in that seat, we, we raised our concerns about it um, four years ago, five years ago when it was first put into effect. And now... Um, the other 23 jurisdictions are chiming in that this, the effect of the Kerwin um, funding is going to hurt counties. And, um, you know, we're, we're going into a recession, whether people want to believe it or not, that all the economic indicators are saying that's where we're going. And, you know, the one way that you can fix the Kerwin funding is to increase taxes. But you couldn't increase taxes at a worse time than when you're getting ready to go into a recession. So I, I don't think that's going to be the answer. Um, I, I think the, the leaders in Annapolis are going to really have to lead on this one and figure out how to balance both uh, changing the direction of education, but being able to fund, you know, to fund it responsibly and and you know be fair to the taxpayers and, and those that have invested their livelihood and their lives to live in Maryland and, and you know respect what we have here as a state. So. I'm looking forward to hopefully some very conscientious decisions in Annapolis this year, and I hope that, that some of the things that have been said about the honeymoon's over and it's going to get crazy in Annapolis, I hope it's all just blather. I hope there's no real uh, meat on that bone, so to speak, because, you know, again, like I said, it, the economy's going to get tight, and I think this is the time where we, you know, we as leaders here in Queen Anne's County, we're going to look to try to relieve it where we can for our citizens as we have in a you know, two years ago we were able to do it. So hopefully we're, we, we can be leaders, not only here locally, but statewide in that effort. But it's going to be a bumpy ride, and, uh, you know, we'll s see how we come out in March. Mm -hmm. I was encouraged to see the county executive fall sent a letter to the governor. It is, it, and actually that was supported by all 24. Yeah. You know, so he's, he's got to be hearing it from everybody. And Mako put that letter together. It's a four-page letter, and that's what was on Fox 45 this morning was that letter. Oh, really? And you're right, County Executive Ball from Howard County did sign that letter, but it came from all 24 jurisdictions in the state of Maryland. So it was not, again, like I said, it's every county is weighing in, and we all have our different struggles um, financially with how we're going to pay for this because it is a 10-year program and it can be it's going to be challenging for some so and on top of that it says nothing about outcomes or very little about outcomes money's not the answer outcomes is just ask any private school good yes sir all right i, I, I want to just touch on um i first want to say a big shout out to our school system because 
you know, the Mattapique Elementary School and Churchill Elementary School both got the Blue, Blue Ribbon, Ribbon Awards. And, you know, that is like winning the Super Bowl when it comes to it. Uh, in the state of Maryland, I want to say there's been 16 schools. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Seven schools in the last, elementary schools, and I think in the last three years that have won Blue Ribbon, and four of them came from Queen Anne's County. We have seven elementary schools, and four of them are, are, have won the Blue Ribbon in the last three to four years, which is, I mean, that just is unheard of. So, I, you know, congratulations to them, and wish them the best. And if you guys remember, I think it was three years ago when, um, uh, what's the one where we go to do our tax? Uh, oh, uh, Bayside? Bayside, thank you. When Bayside won it, I think we, we donated something like $5,000 to the whole school system, something maybe. So I'd like to see if we do the same thing for these two schools. Absolutely. You know, something for the kids that, you know, whatever. To reward them. Yeah, yeah. ask the principals what, what would work good for everybody and just, you know, to recognize what they've done. Uh, tomorrow I go and County Administrator Todd Mon and, and uh, who's coming from planning? Rob Gunther. Rob, Rob Gunther is going to be coming. We're going to go to the uh, Maryland uh, Agricultural in, in Annapolis for a, a solar summit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm concerned, I'm very concerned for our farmers. And, and, and some farmers probably are looking forward to solar, some farmers maybe not. But, you know, they're, they're, the rumors are they're pushing for an additional 10,000 acres from each Eastern Shore County to go solar, and that's just huge. I mean, we, we set aside 2,200 acres. We're more than halfway there now uh, with that, and then they're saying they want another 10,000 on top of that. So we're gonna go hear what they have to say and see wh what the fight's gonna be. Uh, and then in December, we go to the, um, the commission in Baltimore, St. Paul Street, same thing, to, to hear what's going on there, because yes, it's coming, it's just how, how how or if at all we'll be able to fight this. So that's what we'll be doing tomorrow, laughing and joking in Annapolis. And then, but so Todd, isn't the, uh, the Jones farm is being built out now, right? They've permitted, correct? It's permitted. I don't think they've started any construction yet, but I'm not. But, yeah, so to your point, Jim, we're over halfway. Yeah. Well over, so no, that's yeah. 600 acres. You're right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's gonna be concerning. And, and what worries me is when you look at the agenda, it's, there's nobody talking that's a farmer. There's nobody talking that's, that's against it. It's all solar, it's all, you know, uh, I mean, I understand the governor's put this as a major priority for himself, but yeah, I don't know if they really have thought out. You take away that much acreage on the Eastern Shore, which is already short in the chicken industry, for everything that gets grown here, stays for the chicken industry, and now they've got to import more of that, increases the chicken, it just, the domino effect, we'll see. But well, it'll snuff it out, I think, to some extent. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you would see the chicken industry suffer because the food supply is readily available for the most. And actually, they import now, based on what I understand from talking to Jenny Rhodes and all, we import grain now for our chickens. Correct. Correct. Right. Right. So if you cut out another yeah. 70,000 acres yeah. worth of it, yeah. you know, like you said, the cost is going to go up. Mm -hmm. So, and, that's, and then the cost goes up, and then outside markets come in, and you, you, you now deflate a business right. that's here. And like I said, the richest soils on the eastern shore, I mean, the, the eastern seaboard, and we're going to put solar on it, and I don't know. We'll, we'll have plus, to wait. That makes sense. Plus we have 100, almost 100,000 in restoration. So 
Actually, somebody is speaking tomorrow to tell us what to do with them after 25 so, years. So we'll find that's right. That should be fun. That's interesting how they vote and they don't even put it in their backyard. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, when we when we set up the 2,200 acres, voting for this and PG and Baltimore, and then they send it to us. Well, that's how we came up with ours four years ago, five years ago. We set it up to where. The, the renewable energy was, they wanted X amount of renewable energy, and they, we broke that down into how many acres, acres. of solar right. that would be, and then we divided that throughout the state. And we actually went above and beyond what the, the number was and said, okay, we'll make ours a 2200. And everybody shares the same burden. And now they're saying, well, it's too expensive to do it on the western shore. There's too many hills. you got to cut trees down, so reforestation. Let's just go take the farmland. And that's the problem. So if, you know, but... A part of me says, you know, in, in business, if the farmer says, well, look, at if I'm going to make four times the amount of money and I don't have to get in a tractor, I'm going to let you put solar up. So, you know, it, it is about property rights, and it's going to be an interesting conversation. But, but we're not exhausting, you know, I've said this all along, we're not exhausting other areas. You look at Chesapeake College, I think they did a great job of showing us the way to create, not the stupid windmill, but... Where they, where they took overhead their parking, parking lot and they yeah. put the overhead solar over the right. parking lot. It keeps the ground cooler underneath. It gives you covered parking. And if you look at the aggregate amount that you have there, we have our high school parking lot. We have several other areas that I don't, are utilized. I don't disagree with you, but you could take all those and add them together. And I am just telling you, the amount of acreage, like you said, you know, you're looking at 80,000, 90,000 acres. And you could put it on every house and every oh, road, and you wouldn't come close. We to need that. to exhaust that first. I, I don't disagree. Get, you know what I'm saying? Before I don't we start disagree. grabbing the acres, yeah, we should yeah. be exhausting those. Because to me, that's the low-hanging fruit. It's right. there. You've already got infrastructure there. You know, with a farm, think about the amount of electrical infrastructure you've got to run to that farm you to put a substation in to be able to get it back to the transmission lines. I mean, there's a lot goes into that. And I'm sure it's all subsidized, so mm -hmm. yikes. Every article I've read, um, and places that they're doing this across the country, the people are arguing that want it, um, that it doesn't do anything to the soil. But yet, it does. It kills the microorganisms. And once they take out the solar out, it's not like you can go and plant soybeans. It, it, it really decimates the farmland underneath the panels. So that's just mentioning that to you. That might be one of the well. One of the things that we've been fighting for years is you know this is a BMP. Solar is a BMP. It lasts 25 years, but they won't give us any credits against nitrogen and phosphorus reduction that is no longer being put down on the ground. So you know I, I don't understand that. So you know that's another thing we can fight for, and we we need to fight for some sort of trade-off. Mm -hmm. Well, you got to be subsidized. We yeah. we need to get compensation for the loss of. The jobs, the you know, that solar, that solar, that doesn't pay anybody. It doesn't. It's generating no revenue. To put it up. That's it. Right. That's it. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, what about loss of food. Well, that's. I mean, that goes without saying. I think that's the one that everybody should be worried about. But apparently, that doesn't even come into conversation most times. So I happened upon an article this weekend. I believe it's it's either Virginia Tech or VCU that is doing a four-year study on exactly what I just said. Mm -hmm on what are the real effects of what solar is doing to farmland, the un unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't be doing that if they didn't know that there was something Well, I, I think that, I think the condition of the soil after the solar array fields are removed 
is a big question mark because you haven't had any situations where you've had you know, a, a solar array fields there for any length of time and then you've removed them and then tested the soils to see if they can, you know, be used again for, for um, growing crops. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of unknowns simply because we haven't got there yet. Because they used to put solar in the desert where it made sense where the sun was. Now, that's not and enough. There was plenty of land so, that wasn't So who cares what the desert is? Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, you weren't growing crops in the desert. Well, they used those reflectors. And if you drive from Vegas to L.A., oh, yeah. you can see those huge and those are reflectors. <laughs> but those were killing the birds because the birds would fly through there and they get cooked. Yeah. And it was killing them. So they had their, their well, own Well, that's the other thing too. you get is you get that, what they call it, the solar, the ground warming there that affects oh. weather patterns, they're saying now, based on... The, well, the, heat generation. Yeah. the windmills are killing the bald eagles. Well, I would say I read an article too about Ford, and Ford was all in when it came to electrical. They came out with they want the F. They're not going to make any more gas-powered F. 150s. The lightning. Everything's right. right. But they were right. They were going to build in either Tennessee or Kentucky an eight billion dollar factory where they made batteries and everything. Got a deal with China, the whole nine yards. Ford has now put a pause on it, and the reasoning for the pause. It's because nobody's buying the electric vehicles. So they're ending up with an inventory that they can't move, and that's interesting. So well, it's a $100,000 inventory, yeah. too. Them F-150 lightning starting at 100000 Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, that's, I mean, yeah. that's a you big You buy a house or a truck. I was just yeah. going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's it. And, and, and how's it going to be an equitable source when, you know, the average uh, middle-income person can't afford to go drop hundred grand on a vehicle just right. so that they can be, no, I mean, environmentally down. conscious? And I'm, I'm not against being environmentally conscious, but sometimes we tip the scale way too far one way. And well, the, the other thing is that you just mentioned and just kind of breezed by it is this is all imports. We're buying all this stuff from China. They're the ones that are making the money, taking away American jobs. And we've got to figure out how to fight them after they catch on fire. I'm going to make a motion to adjourn after that. Second. Second. Uh, adios.